Let's pray. God, it is our honor to be here today. It's our privilege. It's our blessing. It's our salvation that we can live out one day at a time. We come here to learn about that and understand that. We pray that today, God, you would, you would hear the praises of your people, these songs we sing, the scripture we read. I pray that we would not stay the same, that we would go out of here different than we came. I pray that we would be engaged and we would just seek the scripture this morning. What is it saying to me? What, is it, what does it mean to me? And what does it mean that I could share it with others? Well, God, right now in this moment, I just pray that we would uh, live out our salvation, that we would uh, act, act like sinners saved by grace, and that we would hear your word speak to us. God, accept this praise and now accept this attention. Change our lives forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. If you've got your Bible handy or your Bible app on your phone, if you'll turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we pick up where we left off last week. A little bit of uh, just a heads up as we dive into this morning. Um, I really like happy things and happy passages. Just FYI. Same one of them. So uh, it's going to be a tad sobering this morning, uh, hopefully for us. Encouraged but challenged. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, it would be a very sobering uh, our time together will be fairly sobering. So just a heads up. Many of y'all may be familiar with the name uh, Richard Rumbrand. I'm a little tongue-tied, by the way, so W's and R's kind of get me. Richard Rumbrand uh, was, a, uh, was a man. He was born in 1906 in Bucharest, Romania. Was married a few years later. To a woman named Sabina in 1936. Very, he was an intellectual guy, a smart guy. Came to know Jesus in 1938 due to, a wit, to the witness um, of, of Christian believer, uh, Christian, uh, he's actually, he was a carpenter, a Christian carpenter in Romania, where he was at the time, led him to Jesus in 1938. In 1944, the Soviet Union occupied Romania. It was their first step really to establishing the communist regime. And Wormbrand began a ministry to his Romanian countrymen and to the Red Army soldiers. He grew up in the Romanian, uh, in, in the Socialist Republic of Romania. And so they had this, this state doctrine of atheism. And the government would, like many, uh, you know, communist uh, and, and atheistic countries, would really try to control the countries. I'm sorry, the churches. They would control these churches. And so when this began to happen, Richard and his family went underground. And they began an underground ministry to his people. He was imprisoned numerous times. He was actually released from his first imprisonment in 1956 after eight and a half years. 
He was warned not to preach. And like, like many people, you see even in Paul in the, in the New Testament, he refused and he began to uh, work, continue his work in the underground church. He was arrested again just three years later in 1959 and he was sentenced to 25 years. It was during this imprisonment that he was beaten and tortured. His physical torture included mutilation, burning, and being locked in a frozen box. His body bore the scars of the physical torture for the rest of his life. And I am personally, I'm, I'm, I'm not a person who really likes gore. Some of y'all like those gory movies or whatever. I'm not a big, that's not me. I shy my eyes away from it. I don't even see it. I want to be blinded by anything that, is, that resembles any type of blood. Because if you know me at all, when I see blood, I pass out. That's just kind of how I roll. It happens, preferably my own blood. But uh, if I see my own blood, I'm out. Uh, if I see your blood, it may take me a second or two, but I'll probably end up on the floor. But I do not like anything in regards to that at all. Do not like it. So I don't like the scary movies. I don't watch anything like that. I just do not enjoy that type of stuff. And so just fair warning, what you're about ready to hear is something that I don't enjoy even saying. He says that within this imprisonment that he had the soles of his feet beaten until the flesh was torn off. And then the next day beaten again to the bone. And he said that there were not words to describe the pain that was inflicted upon him. He was released from that imprisonment, continued his work. And in May of 1966, he actually testified in Washington, D.C. before the U.S. Senate's Internal Security Subcommittee. And it was at that testimony in front of all the senators and the representatives that were there, and all the TV cameras that were there as well, he took off his shirt in front of these cameras to show the scars of his torture. And it was from then on that he was known and became known as the voice of the underground church. You can actually read about his imprisonment in a book that he wrote called Tortured for Christ. And it documents his testimony. He started a ministry for the underground church, primarily in communist countries, and it is now known as, still exists today, known as Voice of the Martyrs. Familiar with Voice of the Martyrs, it actually resides in my hometown of Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Pass it every time I go in, in and out of uh, my hometown when I go, go to visit my family. It's there. They're a mission-sending organization, very similar to us. My home church of Highland Park Baptist Church in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, actually has several of their missionaries who were pulled off the field due to COVID, are now serving in my home, in my home church and leading ministries and doing incredible things within my hometown. But they are a voice, and they exist to be a voice for those who are being persecuted in the church. Paul here, again, just some context, is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says he's writing to them because they're facing very intense persecution. They're a young church. They haven't been around very long, and they're, they're young Christians. 
They're not seasoned and don't know how to handle the persecution that they're, they're experiencing. And so what does Paul do? Paul sits there and he writes to them and he encourages them and he reminds them, reminds them that he knows what it is that they're going through. Because out of everybody in Scripture, Paul is one who can sit there and say, listen, I know what, I know what it is that you're going through. Paul can be incredibly empathetic to these people because he walked in their shoes. The Thessalonian believers, again, very young in their faith, uh, were experiencing this persistent and difficult persecution. And Paul's given them some comfort and some encouragement. And they're facing this persecution really because of their, their belief of uh, specifically in, in the coming of Christ, where Christ will return for his church. And when, you are, when we are struggling, whether it's with our illness or otherwise, and, and isn't it nice when somebody is just simply there? Like there have been times when, when, when you go through difficult life and, or difficult things in, in life and in different situations and just knowing that somebody is there. You know, I think about Job going through all the difficulties in the Old Testament and he had these three dudes that just kind of came in and yes, they were a little bit different, but a lot of times they just sit there and they listen to him complain. How is it, isn't it nice just to, just to have somebody come and sit next to you and not say a word, just to know that they're there for you, but then also be able to listen to you. And so Paul here is saying to the church, listen, I'm with you. I'm here for you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to take care of you. You have not been forgotten. For those of us who are followers of, of Jesus, if you've been born again, as the New Testament calls it, the coming of Christ is something that we look forward to with anticipation. I know when I was young, I, did, I didn't really think about this a whole lot. When I became a believer at 16, I remember, I kid you not, this is going to Please don't, I don't know. We're all young in our faith at once, right? We can go there. I remember, specifically remembering that um, praying one night in January that the Lord not come back until the Super Bowl was done because it was going to be a really good game. And so I remember praying that as a kid, man, it'd be awesome if he didn't come back because the Super Bowl is coming. That'd be great. Just delay it just a tad bit longer. Or maybe other experiences in your life, Lord, just don't get back, don't, you know, don't come back until I get married, don't come back until I have a kid, don't come back until this, but I find as I get older and older, that that prayer has changed. I don't know if I go a week where I don't sit there and go, Lord, please come back, don't tarry, come back soon, come back. And we look forward to it, we, we look forward to it as believers with anticipation, why? Because this isn't our home. The suffering and the stuff that we experience is not something that we're going to experience forever, it's a worldly experience, and I long for an eternal experience with Jesus. And I pray that you long for that as well. However, for those of us in here who are not Christians, who have not repented of their sin and trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord, they don't have this to look forward to. This isn't something that they will enjoy or get to enjoy in. Because the bottom line is, is that the coming of Christ will either be a joyful comfort or it will be an awful calamity. 
For those of us in here who are Christians, it's a joyful comfort. For those of us who are not, it's an awful calamity. And Paul spells it out here in our next passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, if you would, uh, in honor of God's word, let's stand together and read. Second Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. Paul writes, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay, to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And when the Lord comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning, for the time that we get to sit and the privilege that we have, Lord, to sit under your word, to be able to read it, to be able to hold it in our hands, and Lord, to be able to learn from it. So I pray your Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts, that he would take our hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of clay, that we be transformed forever for your glory and for our good. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. While many of us in this room uh, most likely have never suffered in the same way as, as Richard Rembrandt and, and the persecuted church or even the church in Thessalonica, if we live out our faith, if you and I live out our faith, suffering in all kinds of different measures is going to be a reality. For some of you, it has been a reality. I've shared stories with you before about my friends and missionaries who are churches in China, uh, who are missionaries to, Ch to China, and they started these house churches, and, and how the house churches have, uh, have that they had worked so hard to, to plant and to make happen have been busted in by the Chinese government, and they've been split up and disbanded and sent. Now, we think about that, and along we think about, oh, that is tragic, that is awful, but that's what's happened here in the New Testament. When churches would start, they would face persecution, and then the believers, when they were, they were basically, these churches were blown up, they would go out into other areas and share the gospel. That's how the gospel spread like wildfire throughout the New Testament. It's how it's spreading like wildfire in areas of, uh, of China and Southeast Asia and other areas is because Christians who, in, in fear of losing their lives, are out going out and sharing the gospel. We're going to face that as believers. Now, it looks a lot different here. Persecution in America is a lot different. In America, the church, I mean, we get called all kinds of names, and, you know, some of them are true, some of them aren't. You know, we're called intolerant. I don't tend to think that. I think there are some people who are. I think the church is incredibly tolerant. We get called bigots. We get called all kinds of things for what it is that we believe when we hold Scripture in our hand, we get called all kinds of things. But listen, if that was what the, the church in Thessalonica was dealing with, I'm not sure Paul would have written a letter. There's nobody writing letters to the American church saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you in your persecution. No. I remember a story that my youth pastor told me when I was uh, at that same church back in, in Oklahoma. I remember him, he was, a, he was a preacher's kid, and he, he loved Jesus and was 
was, uh, was living, the faith, living his faith at high school. And I remember him telling me a story walking out of high school. This is probably, I think this is going to be in the 80s, late 80s. Um, he was walking out of his high school, and some kids jumped out of a tree. Around, back, not out of a tree, out of the backside of a tree. And, uh, um, and they, they started beating him with a chain and wrapped, him around, wrapped a head, the chain around his head uh, several times, all the time saying, do you still believe this Jesus stuff? That's persecution. Many of us have not had that happen to us. However, as we live our faith, it's increasingly evident that you and I are going to face persecution in this life. It's going to happen. For those of you who've been around a while, it's not as easy to live as a Christian today as it was a few years ago. So however it is that our faith is tested, that, that we are persecuted for our faith, we need to know that when believers suffer for the sake of Christ, they should, number one, they should be encouraged in their acceptance. Acceptance of what? Acceptance of you. God's acceptance of you. Take a look in verse 5. Paul starts in this little section. He says that this is evidence. This, what he's talking about, this evidence here is he's referring back to verse 4. Just take, hang a, hang a slight left, hang a slight left in your Bible, and you'll see um, verse 4 says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the church of uh, the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And he says, and it is this, it is this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy, considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. This evidence that he talks about is their conduct, their steadfastness, that their, their suffering here should be seen as evidence to the believers of, of, coming righteous, uh, of the coming righteous judgment of God that they could hope for. This righteous judgment of God they're talking about is, um, uh, is, is this that they could take heart in this righteous judgment of God, that God has not forgotten, but forgotten them, but that justice will be dealt to those who have afflicted them. It will not go unnoticed. That they don't need to avenge themselves, but that God is going to take care of it. God's pretty clear in, De in, in Deuteronomy. He says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That he says, whatever happens, I'm going to take care of. I'm the one who, who gives out punishments. And I will take care of those whom have been persecuted for my name. And he says that, and that you will be considered worthy. He says that the, righteousness, the righteous judgments of God is going to happen and that it'll happen because that you may be considered worthy. Considered worthy is God's judgment being completely just it also means that those who remain steadfast in their suffering for Christ's sake will be considered fit or worthy to enter the kingdom of God. What do you think? Man, that sounds a little bit like works. Sounds like, man, I got to do these things in order to get into heaven. Well, that's not the case. Interest into the kingdom is not earned through this steadfastness that he's talking about in verse 4 but rather steadfastness during the trials and the troubles, that if you stay steadfast within those trials and troubles, you will prove your membership into the kingdom of God. 
Many of y'all like to go to, or at least maybe, you know, maybe I should say this, many of y'all have a membership, a membership to a workout facility. I hope you use it. Pretty obvious where I stand on that. I do not, we didn't have one. However, when you go in, if I was going to Planet Fitness and I were to walk in the door, they wouldn't let me do anything in there. Why? Because I don't have a membership. How do they know if I have a membership? Because I have a card that I said to sit there and scan and it says, oh, look, your dues have been paid and you can come in. And the steadfastness through persecution, he's telling the church here, is like, if you stay steadfast when you, when you enter the kingdom of heaven, it's like having that membership card that says, yes, I recognize you. You're one of ours. Come on in. Richard Rembrandt was going to walk through the gates of heaven, and they're going to look at him and say, yes, you're one of ours. Why? Because his body was marred by the physical aspects of persecution. And as he walks in, he hears the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Because he was steadfast. In other words, if we remain faithful to the Lord when suffering... This is a plain indication that when we face the judgment of God, we will be considered worthy of his kingdom. One theologian wrote this. He says the the church in Thessalonica said their suffering was not what secured their salvation. Their suffering was the evidence of salvation already secured when they identified themselves as followers of Christ. Stated another way, they were not made worthy of the kingdom because they suffered. They were counted. They weren't made. They were counted worthy of the kingdom because they suffered. And then Paul, in verse 5, he, he brings himself in there. A little bit later, he'll, he'll bring himself in here. He says in verse 5, he says, for which you were also suffering. He's talking about the kingdom of God. If you look in the last half of that passage of Scripture there, he says, um, considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Saying, so you're not just suffering, you know, you're, you're not just suffering because of what it is, you're suffering for the kingdom of God as well. This is something that is happening because they're living out their faith. And when we live out our faith, when we live for Christ, when we live the implications of the gospel in our daily lives, we are going to suffer. We're going to suffer. Philippians chapter 1 Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the gospel, or for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of, their, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We are going to suffer as believers. But our willingness to remain steadfast in spite of these sufferings is evidence of our salvation. It shows the genuine nature of our faith. We talked about that with James, this genuine faith. What does it mean to have a genuine faith? Well, part of a genuine faith is being steadfast through persecution, through difficulties, through hardship. There are many of us, and we know many of these people who, who claim the name of Jesus. They claim to be Christians. But when things get difficult, when suffering and hardships come, they quickly turn against God and they shake their fists and they scream, why? They have not stood fast and they have not 
persevered through the suffering. Uh, many of y'all, uh, at least you're familiar and you've been around um, people, veterans, or maybe you have uh, um, a relative that is in the military. I know some of y'all have been in the military, and uh, one of the things that you begin to do in the military is you, you enlist, you, you, get, you swear your oath, you're in, and then you're off to boot camp. Boot camp is intentionally difficult, especially when you try to go for the elite forces, right? Like when you get into that stuff there, that is hard. Elite forces are difficult, but boot camp is not meant to be easy. If it was easy, anybody would do it. But boot camp is difficult, and it's, it's, it's a refining process, if you will. It takes, it takes people who are, who are really undisciplined for the most part, you know, maybe didn't have really an idea of what they want to do in life, and they're like, well, I'll try the military, and it, and it begins to just kind of refine them in their life, refines their life, and it makes something, for lack of a better term, out of nothing. And we want that. Out of our military, we want people who have been refined, who have been equipped and who have been trained, who can defend whatever it is, uh, whatever enemy is coming against us. Well, many of y'all may be familiar with the, uh, with the name Chesty Puller. I believe I'm saying his name right. Chesty Puller was a uh, three-star general uh, in the Marine Corps. So he was a Marine Corps lieutenant general. I think I have uh, the three-star right. Anyways, he has, he's quoted with this. He's quoted with this particular quote. And I don't know if y'all remember this. You remember the, uh, there was a clothing line in the mid-90s called No Fear. It's actually still out there, but it was really popular in the 90s. It was called No Fear. And they'd have all these sayings, right? And then at the bottom, it would say, like, No Fear. Well, anyways, one of the shirts that said, it, said this, it had this phrase. It said, Pain is weakness leaving the body. No fear. Well, that was originated by Chesty Puller. Now, could you imagine? I mean... I've seen enough war movies and, and boot camp stuff and watched enough documentaries to kind of know there's always like a drill sergeant yelling at you. And then could you imagine if you're complaining and you're struggling in boot camp and all you hear is this dude yelling, pain is weakness, leaving the body, you know? And I just envision, I just envision Forrest Gump at that part going, sorry, yes, sir, right? Like I just, you know, that is what, that's what it is. So he's credited, Chesty Puller, credited for pain is weakness, leaving the body. Well, the pain and the suffering that we endure in life, it does reveal our weakness. It has a purpose. The pain has a purpose. The suffering has a purpose. And its sole purpose is to do, the, do one thing, and that is to drive us to God. It drives us to God. We realize that we cannot do this on our own. We're not going to get through this on our own. We're not going to get through this with our wife beside us or our husband beside us or our, our friends with us. It's not just going to happen. It drives us. The suffering drives us to dependency upon God. James Grant is um, a Bible guy. He says this. He says, God has designed suffering to work for us and not against us. He has designed it to change us, uh, to consume our dross and refine our gold. And he will supply his all-sufficient grace through the fiery trials of life. And those trials are actually evidence that God is for us and not against us. If we're a believer here this morning and, we've, and, and you've suffered or, or suffering and, 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 you've, and you're in the midst of it, you can find rest in the truth that remaining steadfast in the midst of hardship is evidence that your faith is genuine. 
could be anything. It could be persecution. It could be, could be issues that you're having with family. It could be um, a sick kid. It could be a wayward child. It could be all these things that just stress us. But God says, like, regardless of our suffering, whatever it is that we're going through, that he is near and that it is a test of our faith. It's, genu- it's, it's to produce a genuine faith, reliance, completely reliance upon him. And when we face these hardships, we can rest assured that our hope is founded, that our salvation is secure. And when we stand before Christ, he will declare us worthy to enter his kingdom. What a deep and comforting hope to be found in his acceptance of us. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you, he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. When life gets hard and suffering and hardships come, we can be encouraged of his acceptance because of the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Suffering is going to come, and sometimes that suffering is not just momentary. Sometimes it lasts a season. It lasts a long time. Some of you may be in the midst of that suffering now, whether that's health, whether that's family issues. And you may feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. But may you be encouraged this morning that, that it is only temporary. The difficulties are only temporary. When believers suffer for Christ, they should, number one, they should be encouraged by their acceptance. Number two, they should be comforted in their deliverance. Let's look at verse 6. Paul writes here, Since, indeed, God considers it just to repay repay with affliction those who afflict you and grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. God here, he says in verse 6, Since God considers it, we're talking about the one who who will repay this. Since God considers it just to repay affliction to those who afflict you. He says, listen, he's going to persecute those who persecute you. And that he will, in verse 7 here, he says, and I will grant relief to you. He says, this pressure that you're under, I'm going to relieve it. It is coming to all who are afflicted. To those, who, to those who are in the midst or will be in the midst or soon to be in the midst or have been through it, all of that pressure is going to be relieved. And he, and he, and he, then he, he adds himself to the this. He says, uh, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Because Paul, he's, he's saying, listen, I'm with you. We're being afflicted as well. And God is going to provide relief. This is temporary. Be steadfast. This is temporary. There's no depth of darkness that God cannot touch. There is no difficulty that he can't overcome. And there is no stage of suffering of which he is not aware. Bev and I, um, we've got four great kids. We love them dearly. Um, some days more, uh, we love some of them more than others on some days. No, they're, they're incredible. Um, we've got really, really good kids. 
Um, we had, we've got four great ones, but we also lost two in that season. We lost the first one in between Jacob and Stephen um, real early, found out like on a, on a Friday that we were pregnant, and then Monday, gone. I didn't know what that was like as a dad. I'm not connected to that child, you know. Um, so for me, it was, it, was, it was a different. For Bev, it was incredibly devastating. As a dad, as a husband, I had no idea what to do. I had two other kids that were chasing around and having to navigate the difficulties of heartache and hardship and having to still raise two kids who were really honestly oblivious to what was going on was difficult. We got through that season. You know, Stephen came along, praise the Lord for him. He's like the coolest thing in the world. Um, but, and then we get pregnant again. The fourth kid. Everything's going great. Until it stopped at 15 weeks. And no life. It was devastating. Dark, hard, trying, difficult season in our life. And then, praise the Lord, we ended up with Judah. It's just a hard season, difficult life, hardships and pressures of life. Do you think God was just unaware of any of that was going to happen? No, because you know what God did through that season? As you go through all kinds of emotions um, as a mom, if in, many of you have experienced that as well in this room, as a mom, you, you go through all these, these like, emotions, like what's going to happen? How do I get through this? What's gonna... You know what God did for us? is when we began, began to make that public, we had so many different people come up to us and to her in, in particular and say, listen, I've been there. This was my experience. And how encouraging it was to know that somebody had gone through something that we had gone through. And as a dad, having no idea how to even really, and a husband, how to do any of this stuff, like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to love my wife through this situation. I'd never, it's just whatever. And having men come to me and say, listen, we experienced this as well. And let me share with you and talk with you and pray with you. So God took what was terrible and turned it into something that was bearable. We're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through difficulties. And Paul here says, I've been where you're at. I've been where you're at. I'm encouraging you to, to remain steadfast through this hardship. As the men came alongside me and said, listen, I've been there with my wife. Remain steadfast Pray for your wife, love your wife, help your wife. This too shall pass. God is in complete control. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is it that he is strong? Because his, his hope and his faith is in Jesus Christ. And he says in Romans 18, uh, 8, 18, he says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us as believers. Life is hard. It's difficult. It's not going to get easier for you and I, Christian. It's an amazing truth for every believer in this room this morning that God is aware that he is watching, that he's prepared to give us relief through our difficulties. This should bring us an incredible comfort. Incredible comfort. As Christians. However, he doesn't end this section of scripture very nicely. 
He ends with a doctrine that we can't be foggy about, that the church is, as of late has been really kind of soft-handed with because they don't want to offend anybody. I'm not into offending people. I don't want to offend anybody, but it's in the Bible. We have to deal with it. We've got to talk about it, and the truth is there, and we have to work through it, and it's hard. Amen. So here we go. So when believers suffer for Christ's sake, they should, one, be encouraged in their acceptance. They should be comforted in their deliverance. And number three, be clear about his justice. Let's pick up again at verse six. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, listen here, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And here's what he says. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all, of, all those of us who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. God begins to say that he considers it just to repay those who have afflicted us. They will receive judgment. And he says, when he comes in flaming fire, what is he going to do? He's going to inflict his vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same person they're talking about. He just gets a little bit more specific. Those who do not know Jesus Christ will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, the, the separation from the Lord. He goes on away from the presence of the Lord. The very thing that we were created to do, to be in the presence of God, worshiping him forever, they will never be able to do it. They're going to pay for their sins in a real place called hell. Eternal destruction. Church, if this doesn't light a fire underneath our tail, our tail there's that Oklahoma coming out in me. If this doesn't light a fire under us, to go out and share the gospel with every single person we know who does not know Jesus, then I don't know what will, because they're going to suffer it. If we don't share the gospel with people who, who don't know Jesus, do we believe what this says? There are, there are a ton of people in Warren County that don't know Jesus. There's less than 1% of Warren County that attends a church this morning or something like that, something crazy. It's unbelievable how many people are sitting at home getting ready for the football game who are not here worshiping. Why? It's not because they don't want to be here. It's because they don't know to be here. They don't know Jesus. They don't know to come to worship him. And we're sitting here as if we don't even believe this. I mean, what are we going to do about that? Oh, my goodness. Because they're going to suffer this eternal punishment from the Lord. And they're going to be away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. One commentator wrote, he said, those who suffer this punishment will not behold the glory of the Lord. They will see his fury and his wrath, and they will receive his vengeance. There will be no grace on that day. 
There will be no joy on that day. There will be no marveling at the Lord that the rest of us will be able to partake in. On that day, those who do not believe will be cast away from the only source of grace and eternal joy, Jesus Christ. Warren Wearsby said that they will suffer eternal hell for two reasons. They would not come to know God, which is a willful, willful ignorance. And they will not obey God, which is willful disobedience. God commands sinners to repent. And rejecting Christ is disobedience. And therefore, they will suffer punishment. It is, it is a, an incredibly sobering few verses of Scripture. Sobering. We should be encouraged as believers by the first part, and then we should be complete, completely convicted by the second part. If we believe what the Bible says, and we call ourselves Christians, as Baptists, we call ourselves people of the book, at least we did at one point. If we believe it, we should be convicted by it, we should be transformed by it, and it should shape what happens outside these walls for you and for me. So we should be encouraged, believer, by this passage of Scripture. That regardless of the difficulties of life, whether that is discouragement, pain, or religious persecution, we can find comfort knowing that whatever it is that we go through, that the God is using these things to purify us, to drive him to him, to refine us, to slowly and surely shape us into the image of Jesus. May we remember that whatever happens in our life that God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. And as Romans 8, 28 says, as you're familiar, it says, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purposes. Whatever you're enduring and having to go through now, God is working for your good and for his glory. So Christian, we should be encouraged. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you never come to faith in Christ, you need to look back at verse 9. And please hear me this morning, that those who do not know Christ, those who do not obey the gospel, as verse 9 says, will suffer the eternal punishment and destruction. This statement is not only a statement of certainty, it is also a statement that is to be, to be fulfilled in the future. That this will happen one day. If this is you this morning, and you've never trusted Christ, if you've never submitted to the gospel, this doesn't have to be your fate. May you repent of your sins and come to Christ today. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would love to, to start a conversation with you about that this morning. Here in just a couple of minutes, we're going to begin to sing, and we're going to worship one final time together. And I'm going to have uh, Pastor Jeremy will be here, and I'll be down here, uh, Pastor Dave and myself. If you want somebody to talk with you and, and begin this, this, this conversation about coming to faith in Christ, or you're here today and you want to just repent of your sins this very moment and come to faith in Christ, I would just encourage you and challenge you to do so this morning. Do not leave this place today without coming to faith in Christ. I beg of you. I beg of you. For you have been told what is to happen so come to faith in Christ this morning.
for the rest of us, may we rejoice as we worship this one last time together, knowing that God is in control of all things, that we have a hope that one day we will marvel at his presence together.